we're starting something new tonight. Uh, we're doing a new series on salvation. This is our second series of the fall semester. And the good news for you guys who are here listening to the great worship and having a little bit of snacks uh, is I'm not going to go too long tonight, but that depends totally on you. All right. Um, tonight we're introducing this topic and we're kicking it off. So let me just give you a little bit of what we do at the beginning of every series, which is talk about why we're going to do the series. And rather than give you a lot of reasons, I'm going to show you a lot of series. And here's what I mean. In almost every series we've done in recent memory, the subject has come up over and over of what do we mean by salvation? I'm not going to go through every one of these instances, but it comes up repeatedly. You would think that a subject seemingly as simple as salvation would be something we'd understand. But here's the, here's the place where this series is so important to us. As I've started to read really deep books on salvation, almost every one of them says something to this effect at some point. Salvation is such a difficult concept to fully grasp that most of us reach the end of our understanding and have to rely on faith and affirm the mystery and the infiniteness of God. Think about that for a moment. A lot of times we think, oh, salvation, easy. I understand how that works. Check. But people who really study and spend a long time peering into the verses about salvation and the implication of those verses say, it'll take you to the end of your ability to understand. It'll take you to a place where you're either going to be in complete awe of who God is and affirm the mystery and the wonder of God, or you're going to be frustrated trying to figure it all out because this is a little bit deeper than most of us think. And that's why we've brought it up so many times. That's why every time we come up to a subject like evangelism, somebody's like, well, exactly what are we presenting? And how does it work? And the questions keep coming up. Like, what about people who say that they believe, but then walk away and change their mind? What does that mean? How does that work? How about when we took on the Christian views on hell, no matter which view you look at, whether you look at universalism or annihilationism or the traditional view, we kept coming back to, but what does it really mean to be saved? How do you understand that in light of these doctrines about hell? We even looked at it in the mystery of God's will. It troubled us so much because we were talking about a sovereign God. And somebody's like, wait a minute, if he's sovereign, so what chance do I have to have free will to even make decisions even about salvation? It just keeps coming up. Let me give you a couple examples from our series on Ephesians. I'll give you just actually this one. We got to these verses in the very opening chapters of Ephesians that everybody practically fell out of their seat. Remember this verse? For he chose us. Ooh, everybody rustled in the room that time. Chose? What do you mean he chose us? Don't we choose him? It said, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us, the ones he loves. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory." And everybody was just moving around. Like, it just seems like all the action is God's action. Where am I? Where is my choice? Where am I deciding these things? 
Even back then we had brought up this verse here, which everybody loves to cite in the church. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, from Romans 8. Everybody loves that one, right? Anytime you're bummed about anything, there's a good chance somebody might say this to you. Well, but you know, we know that God works for the good of those who love him, right? And then we just stop. That isn't even the whole verse. That's just like, that's, where, that's the part we like. Pull out the verse magnifying glass that comes in the back of some Bibles and you just go, zoom in. I like this part. I don't want anything else in my vision. Here's the rest of this that also made us wrestle. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who are those people who love him? Those who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And we didn't like it. And I said, hold on, someday when the time is right, we will do a series on salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, that time is now. <laughs> we are going to do a series on salvation and answer some of these questions. That's just a taste of some of the things that we need to talk about. But I want you to do some of the thinking tonight for me. Here's where I want to start in our introduction. I'd like you to answer this question right now. I'm going to give you a few moments to think about it. And then we're going to talk about it and see how it comes out. I want you to imagine that I come to you and I say to you, in a conversation we're having over coffee somewhere, where we're talking about something else and I finally look at you and I say, you know, there's something I've been meaning to ask you for a while. What must I do to be saved? What is your answer going to be? I'm going to pause like we do a lot of times when we do our introductions, like right here. I'm going to pass out. I want you to take a couple cards and a pen. And I want you to keep one card for a little bit later. We're going to ask some questions you can write down. But the first thing I want you to do is help me to answer this question. If I come to you and say, what must I do to be saved? And I'm seriously standing at that door hoping that your answer might bring me through the door of salvation. What are you going to say to me? Let's pause right there and pass these out. In a few moments, I'd like to have you kind of tell me, if you're comfortable, what your answer might be. All right. So let's see. If I come to you and I ask you, what must I do to be saved? Anyone want to respond? Yes. Well, there's like two answers, right? Like to really be saved because it's grace, you can say nothing. Like that's like your salvation is free. But if we're talking about the steps you have to take, not simple. But I said that like it means that you believe in God, like triune, so Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that you choose basically from that day forward to live your life in love with him, loving him, and trying to be like allowing yourself to be transformed. And so you now live your life in a different position where you ask yourself first, what would God call of me? What does this mean for me? What would he want me to do? So it's just like a shift. Anyone else? Yes. Um, admit your need for Christ as your Savior. Confess his name as the Lord of your life. Okay, so admit your need for a Savior and confess him as the Lord of your life. 
Any others? To take a posture of humility, to give up your will and submit or put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah, Daniel? I said the salvation is the transformation of the heart from self-idolatry to christ likeness. Okay. Yeah. I can expand on it. <clears throat> like, I like the Lord and Savior aspect, but I say place your faith, which means trust. In Christ is your Lord. So Lord meaning Jesus is your master. You're now going to begin following him as a disciple, as a student. Uh, and Savior, you no longer strive to earn God's favor, but instead you trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You're accepted by God. And that frees you to follow after him. Huh? Yes. Um, I think I was drawn from a Bible verse here, if I remember correctly. But I said... Um, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I was thinking of being saved as a little bit less, well, more like the justification aspect and less the sanctification, so I didn't, I, I don't know if it needs to go as far as reorienting your life. It seems like it should, but yet I'm not sure. Okay. You want to come back? Kind of. It's just, it is a really complicated, which is why we're doing the series, but I mean, they're all verses, are verses about like burning the chaff or cutting off from the vine and like all these things if we're not fruitful and whatever, whatever. So it, it's kind of a, I don't know, like a circle because it's like, yeah, you don't need works to be saved, but like if you're saved, like your life should produce these things. Like if you really do believe in God and you're putting him first and I like that whoever said I don't know about like not like idolizing yourself or idolizing God, like there is gonna be a shift and things are gonna be different. And if they're not, we can't judge someone that's saved or not, but the Bible does have verses that talk about being cut off, so I think that that ties into sanctification, if I'm wrong, but as not salvation. So like your your works and your deeds tie into the fact that you have made this commitment. Right. But it's not necessarily what your saves salvation. you. So I'm looking at you from across the little coffee table and I'm <laughs> I'm starting to get confused because my question was like, what must I do to be saved? And it's possible that like this is one of those things where I can go, why don't you guys work it out? And then when you have it done, formulated in a way that I can understand it, then I'll come back and ask again. Any other, any other contributions of what you wrote down or that you thought about that you'd like to share? I, I just like Megan's distinction of justification and sanctification. I think we are getting a lot into the sanctification, which isn't what the person across the coffee table is asking. Okay. Yes. Uh, it's got to be centrally a matter of who you're trusting. It's trusting Jesus. I mean, that man on the cross in Luke, what, 24, 23, 23. That guy didn't have time to work out all these philosophical implications and things that are very important for Christians to learn and grow in. He, he knew that Jesus was the Messiah, and, you know, and basically gave himself over to him. Does he also be the day in paradise? You know, so I mean, the key aspect is trust, how that plays out. That that's where we get into all these things that I think people have said really good things, but ultimately it's saying, I, I trust you to take care of me. Okay. Um, okay, so I'm a horrible Christian. I don't remember where this came from exactly in the Bible, 
But we kind of talked about it, I think, on one of our retreats where Jesus was sort of comparing, like, following him and salvation to, like, a project. And basically, it's like, don't start it unless you can finish it. And take into account, like, what you need to build it and all the costs and, like, whatever. So basically, it's like, weigh what it takes to follow me. And if you can't complete it, don't follow me. And don't choose me. And so I think it's irresponsible of us to be like, just say this prayer. Sanctification doesn't matter. I think it's like, hey, if you want this, you need to know that, like, it's difficult and this is what your life should kind of look like and these are the things God calls of you and you should be willing to do these things and not necessarily that you're not saved, but I just think it's irresponsible to be like, just confess, you know, Christ is God and you're good. Like, I know the concept that salvation is grace and it's free and it's mercy and all of that and, like, we can't, we don't earn that. It's a gift, but... I mean, obviously, he took it very seriously to the point where he said, if you can't finish this, don't even start it. Okay. So I've recently had this experience with my business partner, Caesar, who some of you have met, who very recently committed his life to Christ. We went to the Harvest Crusade, which is where Greg Laurie gives his kind of message and asks people to come forward. It was a very interesting event because, first of all, just from an outside outsider's perspective, he listened to the entire gospel presentation and didn't understand it. Um, because we use a lot of Christian words a lot of times, and he kept talking and talking, he was trying to say so much, and there were all these cheers, but I think most of the cheers came from the Christians who were kind of like rooting for their team, but the non-Christians kind of were not understanding, at least he didn't, and I quizzed him later as to why. It led to a lot of good conversations though, and one of the things he's been doing is he's been listening to the entire Gospel of Matthew series that we did, and he goes through one of them each day. There's 44 of them, so he's about halfway through now. And here's the funny thing that he started to encounter. When he finally understood what, what Greg Laurie was trying to communicate, he said, oh, sounds simple and sounds very understandable. And this is not just Greg Laurie, but a lot of us, when we try to boil the gospel message down, we tend to package it into little sound bites and marketing messages that are palatable. We've decided that, you know, all the stuff we're talking about here, too complicated. Let's just make it simple, like you've mentioned already, a prayer, or saying something that we can just make easy, that might fit on a bumper sticker at some point, or something like that. When he started reading or listening to the book of Matthew, and hearing what Jesus actually said, what's interesting to me was his first reaction was anger. He was angry because what he was hearing from Jesus was so much more difficult to follow, and so much more difficult to comprehend than that easy message that was being given. And for days he was struggling with what Jesus was saying to the disciples, especially when he hit the Sermon on the Mount, where many of us, as you remember, in the room were wrestling with Jesus' words, and that's why that series is so valuable, because it's not just going through the book of Matthew in a Bible study. It's kind of an audio commentary, and even more, it's actual live people wrestling with the words of Jesus. Even words we've grown up with our whole lives, even words about salvation. And yes, becoming a disciple that were so difficult. He's now starting to calm down a little bit, understand how it all fits together. He has a benefit that few of us has. He's actually listening to it all from beginning to end. And he's connecting the pieces and it's starting to make more sense. The reason I bring that up is because it isn't easy. That's why we're doing this series. And the words of Jesus come sometimes 
very sharply. Let me show you a few. Jesus was asked, what must I do to be saved? Here's some responses. To the rich young ruler, Jesus answered this. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. I could say a little bit unfairly, the word belief doesn't even appear in this passage anywhere. I say a little bit unfairly because maybe that's what's implied in come, follow me. But would you say these words to me on the other side of that coffee table? Would that be your response? Andrew. You have to look at the context. Who's he talking to? You have to take into the fact that I'm talking to you across a coffee table. I might know that you're extremely wealthy and you hold your possessions with a closed fist and you walk around prideful of the fact that you are wealthy. Might I say you need to just let those things go? This is a process of releasing what you have to God and following him? Absolutely. But Good. it's also... You know, what his response was after that was, <laughs> can't do it, sorry, adios. And you're like, you know, you're, it's all contextual and who you're talking to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build right off that comment and say one thing. All of the verses I'm about to show you are all taken on out of context. I don't mean that in a bad way. I just literally just plucked them off the pages, right, because that's how most people read stuff. And I'm doing that almost in a sloppy fashion intentionally, all right? So just... So I'm doing that on purpose, but I will come back and say, I don't think that this rule only applied to him. I really don't. But we can talk about later why, because I think Jesus holds everyone to this standard. We just like to think, oh, this was a special case for him. I don't believe that. I believe that he would say similar things to many people, uh, maybe everybody in this room, right? But yes, it's a good catch about the context being important. I'm intentionally just looking for like verses where people respond, because it builds the problem, actually, conveniently. Here's another one. To the expert in the law who asked him, what must I do to be saved? Jesus said this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That sounds closer to what we've already heard about, maybe turning from your inward love of self to loving God and loving others. Even action that goes with that. That's a formulation. Again, you could say, well, you have to believe to do those things, but I don't see a specific belief in anything but God here. In the book of Acts, the jailer, when he found out that Paul and Silas could have escaped but didn't, comes to them and says, what must I do to be saved? And they say to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, that looks a little bit different, doesn't it? A bunch more. Here are some things that you could say, and I'm going to tell you again, these are even more in accordance with Andrew's admonition, probably taken a little bit out of context. But I've seen these things bantered around. What must I do to be saved? You should do the right thing. Because in Matthew 25, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the beginning of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And hence people will say, if you're not doing these things, you're not inheriting the kingdom. 
So I hear people who would respond and say, do you want to find salvation and eternal life? You have to be acting right. And I don't just mean like living your life right. You have to be acting towards others right. I'm not prescribing this to you. I'm just describing what people say. Part of the thing we have to discover in the series is, do you believe that? I mean, it's in the Bible, but we have to delve into it and find out is he really meaning that that's the test for salvation. Or here's another formulation. Stand firm until the end. That's what you have to do to get salvation. In Matthew 10, 22, it says, You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So if you don't stand firm, you won't be saved? If you were to somehow falter under pressure, you won't be saved? I mean, this would be a little bit easier to dismiss if this is something that just Paul said. But these are Jesus' words. What do we do with that? Jesus said you should leave behind people you care about. That's how you get salvation. Some of you are all too happy to do that. Everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times more and what will inherit eternal life? Matthew 19, 29. Do you have to do that? Seems like he's saying that that would be an indicator of it. Okay, for all those who just think belief is it, here's a bunch of verses for you on the belief side. All you need to do is believe in Jesus Christ. John 3.16, easy enough. How about John 5.24? For truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. John 10.8, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. For all those who think it's just John who believes in belief alone, look, in Acts, written by Luke, it says, And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And in Romans, it says in chapter 10, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Wow, we like those. That can fit on a bumper sticker, right? Like, we can narrow that down and say, that's simple. Is that enough? That's what we struggle with. That's what all of our series have come back with. What is all that other stuff when it could be this easy? Morgan. I, I deal with this all the time at Citrus and others where you have to deconstruct what that word believe means biblically. And I don't know if we'll get into that in this series along the way because I think one of the major issues that I experience is people think belief and they think mental ascension. And that's just like the assenting to, oh yeah, Jesus did this, Jesus did that, where... That, that's not my understanding, but I don't think it's a biblical understanding of what it means to believe uh, in Jesus. And, I mean, I can, I can unpack that more. Uh, just in the idea of, I think when I read the Gospels, as an example I use is uh, before Jesus actually appeared after he rose from the dead, the demons had the best theology. They knew exactly who Jesus was. While everyone else was confused at times, some moments of great faith, some moments of have no clue. The demons do. So that clearly means that you can know exactly who Jesus is and not be saved. So so belief is actually that that acquired knowledge is actually into practices into a point where you're following after you, you've transferred allegiance. You know those are those things that I begin to unpack because mental ascent. We we have to deconstruct that because I think that trips up a lot of people. Okay. So assume that you look at the word belief and you change it to faith 
meaning that you act upon that belief and put your life's trust in that. Okay, so we'd still like it to be like that, even if we say, yeah, intellectual assent or knowledge is not enough. We'd still like to camp out on this page because this sounds good. And if, if you thought this was all there was, you could say, I could answer that question across that coffee table really quickly. Right? I could just tell you, as I sit across the table from you, here's what it is. I've got my answer ready. And some people, that's it. We just got to put those next to other things. Let me show you just a few more, only one more slide. And then we're going to take some of your questions. I'm only putting these up because I want you to see some verses that people pull things from and say, look, this is what it says. You need to believe in the correct gospel. Not just any gospel, but you've got to make sure you got it right. 1 Corinthians 15.2 says, By this gospel, and he's arguing for a certain gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. You might just pass right over that, but think about that for a moment. Just a moment ago we were talking about, well, but I mean, do you have to really understand the triune nature of God? Do you really have to get that? And again, Paul is not arguing for a specific set of beliefs or saying here's the creed, but he did preach a gospel to them, and he is saying that if you don't believe in it the right way, if you believe in something different, then you haven't believed in the right thing. Whatever the thing is, we'd have to look at that context again. But does that ever enter into our conversations? Let's bug ourselves with things like words like chosen. Look at this. Maybe you should be one of those people who are, quote-unquote, appointed for salvation. In Acts 13, 48, it says, When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and they honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. So those people who had a like an advanced reservation for eternal life, those people believed. Everyone else didn't believe. Why? Because it seems that this word troubles people. What does it mean? Those who were appointed for salvation. All right, just two more. You should work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In Philippians 2, 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Would you say that to me across the table? What must I do to be saved? Well, one of the things is you've got to do this, but then you need to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like, this doesn't sound like something I want to do. <laughs> For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Uh, you totally confused me there. If I'm acting with fear and trembling, like, what does it mean he's doing the work? Like, which one of us? And finally, don't throw things at me. The best one I came across was bear some children. <laughs> What must I do to be saved? Because in 1 Timothy 2.15 it says, But women will be saved through childbearing. If they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. <laughs> it's definitely in the scriptures. I just cited it. So in our group, that means that only Lena among the females is saved so far. So what do you do with these verses? These are just to show you that sometimes these things, when you lay them side by side, you have to actually start to work them together. It is a little bit more complex sometimes than we want it to be, and that's why when I say, why are we doing this series? 
it's because I think it is a little bit more complex. That's really the point of just trying to introduce it tonight. Here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to drive the series. So tonight's an intro. We just kind of dabble with it a little bit. Build a case why it's good to spend God's time for the next four or five weeks looking at these subjects. What I'd like you to do is on the cards, I want you to write down what questions you have about salvation. That will drive our series, as it did with the last one. Uh, we have plenty of resources. I'm not going to recommend books to you yet, only because I'd like to see what your questions are. We've got a bunch of them, and I've been reading through them. But I'd really like to hear from you. Like, What is it that you want to know about salvation? What question is the one that troubles you? Uh, we'll do that for a few minutes, and I'd like you to hand those in. And if you want, give me your formulation card, too, on what you would say to me about what must I do to be saved. Pass both of those in, um, and that'll help drive us, and then we'll get back to doing some worship and close it out that way tonight. Take a few minutes and, and, and work on those, if you would. Let me, uh, let me just close with this last thought, and let's pray. Uh, the last thought I want to give you is, you know what? Um, this series is not just another series for this reason. God is about anything, it's about salvation. Some who ponder this subject would say that God created us to save us. Salvation was not a plan B or something that caught God by surprise. That's why so many of these passages that we read talk about from the foundations of the world, from before the creation. God had a plan for salvation because God knows, knew, always knows, however you want to state it, that to create humanity and give us the blessing of life and to know him and to reveal himself to us meant for sure that salvation had to be part of any plan that included us having a choice of any kind. So one thing is this is not just a series that we could think, oh, this might be interesting. Uh, this is not all that God is about, but this is a primary thing that God is about in our relationship and just who he is. The other thing is that some of us shy away from this subject because we have no desire to know about our own salvation and even less desire to care about the salvation of others. Uh, while this is not a talk on evangelism, because we've already done that, uh, understanding salvation is crucial to ever care about how you might bring somebody else into a conversation where they might learn about the Lord and find salvation. So while we are going to talk about some of the difficulties of understanding the doctrines about salvation, uh, the ultimate purpose of it is for us to understand our own salvation better, but more importantly, to be able to bring others into a conversation like, what must I do to be saved? And to be able to handle even some of the difficulties of people reading on their own and saying, but it says this, or I understand this, or what do you think about this? And to be able to deal with that as best we can. In the end, as we learned in our last series, it's the Holy Spirit that brings people to even the ability to be able to say that Jesus is Lord. So let's pray that the Spirit bless this series. And uh, you can hang on to those cards during worship if you want to think through a couple more things to write down. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, you've authored a plan of salvation, and you have known about it, and you have planned it from before any of the creation took place. Jesus, you took your part in that willingly and laid down your life for every single one of us in this room and that your offer would be available to all. And Spirit is by your power that people are even allowed 
to know and to speak and to believe in the name of Jesus so that they may be saved. So triune God, we ask you to bless this series. Give us more than just a knowledge in our minds. Use this to get us to know more about you relationally and turn us outward. Equip us with this series so that we might see even more come to a saving knowledge of who you are. Pray this in your name. Amen.